welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. Hello, I am joined by comedian Carl Donnelly. Carl, welcome to the Divorce Club. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. What a prestigious club it is to join. Isn't it so exclusive? You have to have spent lots of money on celebrities <laughs> and paperwork. Yeah, the Soho house of uh, sadness. Exactly. Well, also, hopefully, happiness and new chapters. Yes, Not all sadness. So how does that feel when I say to you, you are divorced? It feels weird, actually. I mean, me and my ex-wife separated seven years ago. Yeah, so now it, I think I've in the last maybe 18 months or so I think I'm in the next lifetime almost you know I'm remarried now yeah it feels like the thing that happened to the old me up until a couple of years ago that I still very much felt like I am a divorced man and how does that feel for me I definitely felt like there was and I think this is why it's, it's still got a bit of stigma a lot of people would probably hold on longer than they need to in relationships that probably should end is I always felt like a, a sort of failure at something that other people managed to succeed at. So do you think you felt that failure until 18 months ago? And now do you feel like a success again because you're remarried? Well, it's not so much now. It's not about failure. I suppose I've just grown a lot in the last probably five years and realised that I've just lost any connection to that concept of failure in terms of, you know, relationships. You know, the whole world goes through ups, downs, breakups, divorces, everything. I've suddenly just stopped judging myself against some sort of fake sort of marker system of success and failure. The things that are just ultimately sometimes out of your own control. Yeah, I think it's weird. I was brought up Catholic, so I feel like I have this religious, like, you have failed, you're meant to stay with your married partner forever. And and actually, for me, one of the hardest things about getting divorced was the idea that I couldn't make it work, like, no matter how hard we tried. Yeah. But also, I mean, I suppose once you get a handful of years down the line, you do look back at the relationship and the breakup and everything with a bit more of a clear head. You haven't got that haze of just how bad it can be. And I think when you look back at things like relationships with probably an an extra five years or whatever, then you start seeing that in a lot of cases, you know, you did as much as you could. You probably tried more than actually a lot of people do. Or, you know, I actually think I look back and think, oh, we gave it a good go. We were together for 10 years. And in that time, no one could have predicted how much either of us would change from the people we were when we met. And probably we went in very different directions, career-wise, personally, like in terms of like interests and stuff like that. We didn't seem to go on the same path, which is what's probably meant to roughly happen. Mm. So I think actually we tried a lot harder than, in a sense, we probably should have to try and keep it working. Yeah, I feel like I'm looking forward to being five years down the line. But even now, I think I could definitely 
say that we tried and yeah. it just didn't work. So how long would you say, because obviously I'm still, well, we separated a year and a half ago and we literally are just being divorced now. So for advice for me, how long would you say the haze lasts for? Am I in the haze? <laughs> uh, I still think you're in the haze. I reckon you're definitely in the haze while the divorce is still going on, even if you don't think you are. Mine took probably, it was over 18 months, I think, to be finalised. Yeah. And when you finally get that letter saying you are no longer legally married. And even though by the sort of end of that period, I thought I wasn't really thinking about it. When you get that letter, you suddenly go, oh, yeah, this is very much something I still had in the back of my mind. Yeah, I just reckon it's probably a couple of years before it becomes a thing that you almost feel like is a part of your bio. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, hi, I'm Carl, I'm a comedian, I'm divorced. (laughs) It feels like that is part of it. I don't know why, because it's such a massive thing to happen in your life. You assume everyone must know about it. No one does, really, just your close friends and family. But you just feel like it's a bigger thing hanging around your neck. But it took me probably maybe three years in total, I reckon, before I could think about it without doing that sort of... (laughs) (laughs) Slightly dry heave moment. Yeah, like when I thought about it, I could think about it with clarity and it wouldn't be a bad point of the day that suddenly it would cross my mind I could actually just sit and think about it you know muse on it a bit more open-mindedness so do you think in the haze because you said it's a really big thing to happen in anyone's life and you feel like everyone should know did you find when you were in the haze you were telling people about it yeah I think so what happens to a lot of people, which definitely I now probably wouldn't advise which is I quite quickly dove into another relationship and she was very wise and kept telling me that this was like a rebound thing and it was, I was still in this funk and I just thought no we're talking about I'm fine and it was like <laughs> it's all, we're talking like six months later and she was absolutely spot on and I was still very much in a bit of a funk so I, totally, I sort of just ignored it I think for about a year where I thought I'm onto my new life and I'm hey I'm reinventing myself and I've got a new girlfriend and like I just yeah I think I totally ignored it and went put the blinkers on and it wasn't until probably halfway through that relationship well not even halfway through we started seeing each other and probably about three months later I went to India with a friend and I went traveling around India I'd planned that sort of before me and her got together and this was going to be my I'm going to rediscover myself trip And it was when I went on that, having then just fallen into a relationship, it was on that trip I suddenly realised just how much I had to probably work out to sort myself out. And so India is quite, you know, a lot of people go there for a spiritual awakening or for like to find themselves. Oh, it's the most cliche choice (laughs) I could have made. Uh, Was was that part of it or had you always wanted to go or was it like I want to go and experience something? I had always wanted to go to India um, and my best friend had always wanted to go to India. And basically we just found ourselves both at weird crossroads in our life. He'd just quit his job. He had, he was had like quite a, you know, a sort of normal nine to five office based career that he was just sick and tired of. And he had quit it in that sort of six month period after me and my ex-wife had separated. So we were both at this massive crossroads and we just went, right, we've talked about India in the past, let's just go. So we just booked up a few months in India at the start of the following year or the end of that year. And then by then I'd fallen into another relationship and was all sad to be going and leaving my new girlfriend. And it was on that trip I just realised probably how much of a mess I was 
in terms of how I thought about myself, how I thought about everything. I thought I was this sort of great thinking, sort of meditative type, and I wasn't at all. I just actually had a lot of cobwebs I had to really work out. And looking back, are you glad you went to India on your stereotype divorce man trip? Absolutely. Was it a turning point for you? Yeah, because for the first few weeks, I almost became like this obsessive boyfriend type. I was so like obsessed with where my girlfriend was. I'd fallen basically. I, me and my ex-wife, I became a comedian during our time together. And I suddenly started spending a lot of time away from home. And I was away for weekends and I was off at festivals. And she had a normal nine to five. And that became like a bit of a thing where I was off living this life that she wasn't really part of naturally there's there's fears when your partner is off for weekends in a comedy as well which is a very social life isn't it you know you could do gigs and then you're off out you're all drinking in the green room and things it can feel like a sort of quite a debauched world and also as a male comedian people probably come up to you after a gig and fancy you you rarely get that as a female comedian but i've seen a lot of my friends who are male comedians get that yeah, I mean, I will say that that doesn't happen as often to me as to <laughs> some of my better looking friends. But, but no, yeah, it does, it, it does happen now and again. Yeah, so basically that became a real issue for the relationship. And what happened was that had always been the power sort of structure, I think. It was me being obsessed that I was being accused of stuff I wasn't doing at that point. But I was the one going off and causing the jealousy. And then when I got into a new relationship, when I went to India to find myself, my then girlfriend was actually, she was very gregarious and she worked in an environment that was very like that as well. And I found myself suddenly obsessing about what was she up to when I was away. And it was going through that for a month or so that I suddenly had this sort of awakening that I've got a lot of issues I need to sort out. And I've been putting it on them. That's so interesting that you became, you know, your ex-wife yeah. in that new relationship. And did that give you any sort of insights into her side of the relationship? Totally. I always knew that I, no, that's not, I caused most of the problems, but what I mean is I'd never say anything, and anything bad about her in the sense of, no, I think we both just became very different people and didn't grow to cope with each other's life particularly well. But what I, what I think, the moment there's jealousy in a relationship, I think that relationship either, you need to stop it there and really work on that and get it out of the way before you move on. Or that's the end of the relationship. I think jealousy is the killer in any relationship. And I think what I learned from when I suddenly found myself obsessing about where my partner was and feeling that lack of trust, I realised that lack of trust didn't come from her. I had it inside me. I just realised that it was... It was more, there was issues with me in that relationship that I needed to look at, I suppose. It's hard to sort of fully work it out. So the thing you said about jealousy, I'm intrigued by, because some people would say, oh, you know, a little bit of jealousy is always good, keeps you on your toes, you know, means nah, that you care. <laughs> but you think it's the killer of all relationships. Well, but actual jealousy comes from a lack of trust or it comes from a self-consciousness as well if you're not comfortable in a relationship and you assume your partner is wanting to look elsewhere how can that be a happy relationship that's a horrendous thing to think about your partner it's a horrendous thing to think about yourself so I think if you've got that little inkling inside you I'm sure actually I'll tell you what I did learn through that sort of period is there's loads of cliches about relationships like you know we're conditioned to accept our normal 
like a little bit of jealousy. Like the whole concept that fighting is in some way normal and it's passionate to blow up at each other now and again. It's like, it may be if you're both that exact type of person, but I'm in a relationship now. We've been together for four years. We never, ever fight. We've had little moments where we've almost had a fight and we resolve it before it ever even... We've never raised our voice to each other. Wow, so in nearly five years, you've never shouted at No, each I've other. never, ever raised my voice at my wife and she's never raised her voice at me. To me, that is like... I can't believe that that's possible. But I didn't think it was possible because I'd been in relationships where you shout and you argue. And I, and I just thought that was what you're meant to do because everyone says, oh, it's normal. And then yeah. suddenly I'm in a relationship where we resolve issues without it ever getting to that point. We actually just talk them out. That at the moment we've got anything, we just raise it with the other person that's sorted. And I suddenly realised that, oh, it's all a lie. We're told that you're meant to do it like that because that's what people do. And actually, there are ways where you can learn to not do that. But you've got to be willing to work at not doing it as well. You've got to be willing to raise something the moment it's a problem before it ever becomes an actual problem. The moment it's a mild irk. And so why do you think there is this kind of idea in relationships that shouting at each other is okay? Do you think it's a way that we've been brought up? I remember my parents used to argue. You know. Yeah, my, my parents had the most horrendous arguments and they split up. And actually, really, they got back together a few years later and they're, they're happier now, but they both had to go through this horrendous like breakup and separation and living in like, you know, crappy little council flats, not seeing each other. And like my dad was alky and things like that. So they had to go through this horrendous few years to realise for them, being together and having arguments was better than the alternative. And then they got back together and they were actually better than they ever had been. But I think the reason we all think that is because, yeah, we're not raised in a society or a world where you're taught to actually deal with problems in a good way. If you were raised from the word go to actually resolve issues rather than let them build up and then explode, then these sort of types of arguments wouldn't be happening. If everyone was much more mindful and content in themselves, they wouldn't be blowing up because normally it's you react when you're not getting what you want. So it's about just how we are as people. We're nowhere near as emotionally advanced as we let on. Well, for me, I found that through trying to work things out and communicate better, the big turning point for me was going to counselling and talking it through with a therapist. And my dad was dying at the time, so there was loads to deal with. Have you been in therapy and did you do that whilst you were married or in your divorce and did you find it useful? Yeah, very useful. We did couples counselling. In the last year of the relationship, we were doing couples therapy. That was really useful, actually. Even though, obviously, the relationship didn't continue, actually, just what I learned during doing that, I've taken on going forward. Like I've always been somebody who blames myself for a lot. Any minor fault in a relationship, I would think, well, that was obviously my fault. And going to couples therapy, I assumed the therapist would always take her side and be like, yeah, you are a dick. And actually, what I learned quite quickly is we both were at fault for huge things in that relationship. So it suddenly gave me a sense of, oh, right, I'm not just a guilty party. And from that, then going into actual therapy, once we broke up, you know, yeah, again, I learned loads from that just about that guilt thing. It's that Catholic upbringing. You know, if you get raised Catholic, you know, you you are sort of burdened with guilt from the word go. You can't just shake it off. So I think I just had to learn to let a lot of the guilt go that I probably had just built up inside me. I think guilt is a very common trait of getting divorced. You label yourself or think, what could I have done? 
But I think it's funny that you said that you automatically thought it was your fault because I think I'm the opposite and I automatically oh, right. blame everyone else and then oh, actually delve really? a little deeper. I'm like, oh, maybe I did have something to do with it. It's interesting because of the men that I've interviewed for this podcast, they've all said that the divorce and the breakdown of the marriage was their fault. Yes. And I don't think any of the women have said that as clearly. They've sort of said it was a partnership or, or you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or blame Again, the other person. something to do with how we're raised in a society that is sort of patriarchal, isn't it? The way society is built is still very traditional, isn't it? Even though it's changing you know, and it's progressing. You know, it's not just men uh, it's sort of still in the higher wage brackets. There's also emotional and environmental issues and how men probably have an internal sense of responsibility. If something goes wrong, it's our fault. I don't know. I, I definitely had a lot of guilt issues going into therapy. And it was, you know what was really good, actually? I had a few therapists. I tried. I kept jumping around. So I'd go to one didn't like it. I didn't feel like they were doing anything. There's that weird thing where they would just sit there and listen for an hour while I'd just sort of natter along. And then they'd go, all right, I'll see you next week. And I'd walk out going, well, you didn't actually give me anything to work with. I just, I get the, the importance of talking, but I'm somebody who likes a bit of work. I like a bit of homework and somebody yeah. to get in there. And actually I wanted, I wanted somebody to challenge me on what I was saying. And then I finally found this woman called Diane. It was through the NHS. And she was like probably late 50s or so. And she was really well-traveled and she was cool. And I actually felt quite alternative. And she was just really clever. I could just tell that within two minutes talking to her, she was so much cleverer than me. And I felt almost like within half an hour of talking to her, she just challenged me a few times on things I said quite aggressively as well. She sort of called bullshit on some of the things I was saying. And I just loved it. I, I walked out of one session felt feeling like I'd done more than I had in five sessions before mm. with other people. And just over the course of us seeing each other, she just basically got inside me and just really taught me to sort of stop. I remember one day she really just called me on my nonsense and my guilt. She went, oh, stop bloody wanting forgiveness from everyone like she said something really like and her tone of voice was like oh shut up <laughs> um, and I remember having a moment of like it made me realize just how much of a fanny I was being and just dwelling on everything constantly and overthinking it and to hear it from a professional made me really sort of go all oh, right take some fucking responsibility for your emotions and you know stop wanting everyone to to say that it's all right yeah I think my counsellor was quite aggressive as well I responded quite well to that like when mm. she was sort of a bit mean I was like oh okay people aren't normally mean to me they're just like listen and agree yeah um, also I just wanted to say that fannies are wonderful I have one I, I, I mean I agree being a fanny. Um, <laughs> uh, I meant fanny in the yeah <laughs> the sense of it being a bit um what's the word I'm trying to think of a way that doesn't sound insensitive. <laughs> Not in a, yeah, you're you know. digging a hole now. I am, but I'm trying to think of why that word actually is sort of used. Even the words that I'm about to prefix it with just always makes me go, um, I think it's like the, the word wet would often be used, wouldn't it? Like us, if you're being like a bit soppy, you're a bit wet. Yeah. I reckon that word has been often linked with the F word. <laughs> well, well, sometimes people say fanny as in like a bit weak and emotional, don't they? Which is weird. Yes. Vaginas are a very strong... And also very um, structurally very 
Sound. Sound. <laughs> I feel like we got to the bottom of that. Thank you. Great. I'm glad we delved into the panic. Excellent. Yes. I just wanted to ask you about being a divorced man. So obviously I only have experience of being a divorced woman. And sometimes I think people look at me with a bit of pity as in like, oh, that was your chance. You've lost it now. You're going to be a woman all alone. Oh, poor you. I just wondered what reaction you found, obviously not from your close friends because they know you as an individual, but did you get any reactions that you thought, oh, that's interesting as a divorced man? I don't think so. I think most people nowadays are pretty clued up about it. You know, it's so common. To be honest, a lot of, like my, my, I guess Australia a lot. My wife is from Australia. I've got loads of Australian friends. I tend to spend like two, three months of the year out there. Out there, they've had no fault divorce for years. Over there, it's so much, it's even more normal. I think here, it's still probably a little bit behind certain countries. I don't know if it's happened yet. They were talking about finally bringing in no-fault divorce in this country. I think think it's meant to come in, but you can't use it as a rule yet. Right, yeah. So I do think because of that, there is probably a societal stigma still in that sense of like, you tell somebody you're divorced, they'll either think you've been really hard done by, and oh, somebody left you, or they think, what did you do? Yeah. (laughs) I think there is that, that it's either or, isn't it? So... I think if you're a guy and you say you're divorced, people just go, I know what happened there. <laughs> you know, I think people assume. As in you were naughty. Yeah, totally. And I think it would totally work the other way around. Where like, I'd say there's still some sort of quite patronizing view. If, if a woman says she's divorced, that they'll be like, oh, your husband ran off with somebody else today. Yeah. You know, I, so I think, I feel I think that that's just the tradition. That's just British people being quite old fashioned, I think. I think it's so weird because obviously I'm a a comedian and in the public eye a little bit, an actress and stuff. So I am out there and I'm quite a bold person. You know, I say what I think. And yet no one has said to me, oh, what did you do? Like, were you a bit naughty? Everyone is always like, oh, did you run off with someone else? And I do think that's a weird gender thing, you know, because I've spoken to people as well of all ages about their divorce. Because I was 31 when we separated. Yeah. Which is fairly young in the scheme of things. I believe that I'm still fairly young. And people were quite shocked when I said I was divorced because they were like, oh my God, you're not old enough to be married and divorced. But the reaction still seems the same. How old were you when you were divorced? I think we broke up when I was 31. It's the year for it. (laughs) Beware if you're 31 and you're married and you're listening. (laughs) Did you get any reactions of you being very young to be divorced? Yeah, definitely. Now and again, especially if it's, you know, if you're doing comedy, sometimes you gig with somebody you might have crossed paths with very briefly once or twice over the years and not actually had anything even approaching a personal conversation with. So I had people when I was going through it, we'd be chatting in a dressing room and I'd just say, I'm going through a divorce. And they'd be like, I didn't even know you were married just because... So, and there was an element of age thing to that. But I do think, you know, as every year passes, it gets more and more common, just divorces are, you know, everywhere nowadays, aren't they? Yeah, I'm the first in my group of friends. I was the first as well. Weirdly, my friends are all really traditional. Like all my mates I grew up with, obviously in comedy, I've got loads of divorced friends. <laughs> it's like, it's, I don't know anyone who's not divorced. In the We're real a nightmare, world. it's essentially that. Yeah, I mean, it's not an amazing lifestyle for, you know, having a very settled relationship just because you are 
away for so much of the year and you're out in the evenings. I'm fine because we're doing, we're obviously recording this during the coronavirus lockdown. Yes. Like one thing I'm finding is just having every evening as a normal person is so amazing. Like me and my wife, we've written a list of films that she's never seen. She's not hardly seen any films. Like she's a real like theatre bod, and I love theatre, but I also love films. So like, there's a list of classic films she's never watched, and we're just working through them every night, and it's great. It's, it's something that we wouldn't have had the chance to do if the world hadn't locked down due to a pandemic. Because I'd always be able to gig it. That's why being a comedian, you know, it can be a bit trickier. You've got to be with somebody who totally understands the landscape of comedy. Luckily, she's an actress and she works in and around comedy. And so, you know, she totally gets it. She's a performer and a creative person herself. So it works. But I think that's where the clashes can come if your lifestyles do not marry up. So you were the first of your group and I am the first of my group. So I feel like a bit like the godfather in my group of divorce. Yeah. Have you had friends that have been divorced since and what advice have you given them, if any? Oh, yeah, I've got some comedian friends who were younger than me that have since gone through divorces. But no, yeah, all my old friends are still in, you know, they, we, I don't know why. We all went to like Catholic schools. Most of us were from Irish backgrounds, few Italians. Like It was like a little weird. It was in Tooting Broadway in South London, so it was quite an immigrant-heavy town. So we were all sort of second generation. So I, mean, I think we all come from those backgrounds that are quite traditional. So none of my friends of that group have gone through it. One of them went through a trial separation, and I sort of gave him a few tips. And I was just sort of saying to him, you know, you need to treat this as which life do I prefer? Do I prefer that one? Are you willing to go back and have a life where you either work through your issues or accept them as just they're always going to be there? They actually got back together. I think both of them realised apart their issues they had with each other were not as big as their missing each other, which I think often happens. You know, that's, yeah. I'm not saying every relationship has to be 100% perfect. I think that is just very lucky when you get a relationship where you both totally just don't have any faults or find any fault or flaws in each other. But I think a lot of relationships, I suppose, I think some of them just, you have to make a decision that you do you want to leave, uproot everything, go and try and find one that is ideal, perfect, or do you just want to sort of slightly settle and go, look, it's still nice and we get on and we have a laugh. And, you know, you could, I think a lot of relationships can exist in that sort of comfortable, fine. If someone is listening and they're thinking, I think I do want to be on my own and, oh God, I'm going to have to uproot everything. Do you have any godfatherly advice or words of wisdom from your own experience? I'm a big believer in learning to be on your own. Like, I, mean, I don't mean that, you know, I'm sort of a relationship type. I, go, I have gone from relationship to relationship. I mean, just you've got to learn to be good at spending time on your own because that's when people go mad. When you see people come out of a relationship who haven't been single for 10 years and they just even go off the rails a bit, end up pissed every night and you know it's constantly just getting a bit desperate you know to just sling it around <laughs> so, <laughs> it all, you know, there is that you can always see somebody oh, just all been there. Relationship. i know we have and I've, i know <laughs> i have but you can do that for a month or two but don't yeah, fall it's into not that as well. like, it's not healthy you've got to learn to be comfortable and i think doing comedy you learn this you have to otherwise you'll end up being one of them guys that's all women who are drinking a bottle of wine in your hotel room on your own just to try and get to sleep but you've got to learn to just be 
comfortable to just go back home alone to bed. Don't, you don't want to sit up all night checking your phone to see who's texting or sending out late night texts to you, like a fishing net to see if you get a nibble. <laughs> you know, there's loads of pitfalls. I think try and get into a good routine and to be happy on your, in your own company. That would be my main tip. I think that's really good advice. And I think I am quite good at being on my own, being a comedian and, and doing a lot of that stuff on your own. But I did still find that when I broke up with my ex-husband, I had this whole sexual freedom, like, oh my God, I'm going to go out and have a nice time. And I did. Yeah. And then I was tired. Then it's I so tiring, isn't it? Yeah. That's what me and um, the comedian Chris Martin, is, um, we used to do a podcast together. Now he lives in LA. He was like the eternal singleton. And then he met his wife and just totally changed. And it was like, he saw the, the light almost. He met somebody who made him want to just settle down like t- instantly. It was amazing to witness. But when he was single, I was married. And then there was a period when I was single and he was just getting with his partner and all that. And we discussed that change of, you're just so much more tired when you are single because you stay up so late. Like, doesn't, like, having sex with a stranger is one of the most tiring ex- like experiences you can have <laughs> because you always end up, you're drinking together and you, you, no one just goes when it gets to 10 o'clock, look, should we just go and have sex now? What you have to do is just carry on drinking until such a late hour until you're both just, it just happens rather than somebody just goes, look, if we do it now, we can be asleep by 12 and get 10 hours. <laughs> like, it's just, oh, it's exhausted. The amount of late sort of tiring thankless night to you have. Oh, I never, and then yeah, you're I just really drunk at two o'clock in the morning, like trying to work Absolutely. out what they like and trying well, to tell it. them what you like. And it's crapper, it's crapper than it would have been if you'd have both had two drinks, said, look, come on, we're in the perfect mood now. Let's do this and get a good night's sleep and get up for Sunday brunch. I love this advice, Carl Donnelly. I'm going to go on a date. It'll be 10 p.m. I'm like, right, should we just go and have yeah. sex now? Let's have sex it. before midnight. Is what makes, that's my biggest tip. Get it done, not just before midnight. Get it done by midnight. That is, that's the dream. So is this what happened when you met your new partner, now wife? Yes. Well, Did you I have suppose... sex before midnight? No, that's not what happened. <laughs> we're very much, um, we both were very much on the same <laughs> sexual <laughs> clock. Right. You know, how long had had it been since your divorce? How long have you been single? And did you feel that you were in a good place or did it happen at a time? It was really organic how it happened. It was really weird because like me and Hannah, my wife, we were introduced to each other about two months before me and my wife separated. And there was no untoward business or anything. Like I was in uh, the Adelaide Fringe in Australia and I was chatting to a friend and she said to me, I think you should meet my friend Hannah. I just think you two would really get on. So it was just, that was literally the comment. Later on that evening, I'd gone to see a show with a couple of mates, came out, bumped into my friend Chrissy with Hannah. We got introduced. And of the five of us just went drinking and had a real laugh. And me and Hannah just had, we had such a laugh. Like it was like real kindred spirit stuff. And we all just ended up sitting around drinking till all hours. And that was that. We all parted company. And then over the course of the next five days of the Fringe, we sort of hung out a bit. Each evening, we'd, be, we'd all be out. We'd catch up, a few drinks, have a laugh. And that was it. It was like sort of meeting a kindred spirit and having this little friend romance for like five days. 
And then we didn't really stay in touch. We sort of became Facebook friends. That was it. And we sort of had a little, hey, it was nice to meet you and hang out. And then the next time we saw each other was at the Edinburgh Fringe that year. And by then, i just met the girl who I was then going to end up in a relationship with. So me and Hannah sort of hung out. The India girl. Yeah. She was great as well. She was amazing. I sort of just fell head over heels for her. But then me and Hannah hung out a bit in Edinburgh. She was there working and sort of, again, just sort of this weird... There was a definitely... Every time I met her, there was this weird energy of this is... It feels like I've known her forever. And then just it kept... That was the case. We'd sort of meet at festivals around the world and have this weird bond and hang out. And it wasn't until the end of 2014 or something. She was in London for Christmas from Australia. And me and the other person separated like a sort of, it was only about a month before that, six weeks before. We hung out over Christmas and it just very organically just fell into place. It was almost like, oh, right now we're both single. But she'd been engaged. I think when I met her, she'd just come out of her engagement in 2013. So like we just had this sort of weird, kept meeting, the things kept sort of feeling like this is weird, we feel like we know each other. And then the first time we met when we were single, it just went, boom, just fell into place totally. Almost instantaneous as well. And then we that just hung out. Lovely. We had, we had a couple of weeks. Well, no, it's totally, kind of, it totally just felt like, oh, this is how it's all meant to happen, isn't it? And then she went back to Australia and I was sort of heartbroken. I was like, oh no. And then I saw her when I went to Australia and it was straight back on. And then basically she was thinking of coming to London. She'd always wanted to live back in London. She was born here, um, but lived in Australia since she was a kid. And I just said it. I just went, look, she was thinking of coming over in the June. And I said, why don't you just move in with me if you want? And she, <laughs> Maybe. And want. she said, yes. And then she moved in and that was it. That was like, Five years ago now, four years ago. Wow. So do you think having been divorced and having this relationship that, you know, officially ended in the way that it does when you do solicitors and all of that, do you think you brought anything different into these new relationships? And did you think you'd get married again? Absolutely not. I didn't think I'd get married again. You know, when you come out of a long-term relationship, you think, I'm never getting into another relationship. I'm going to be this free and single soul traveling the world. (laughs) I had such a romantic idea of what I was going to be. This old bachelor, 50-year-old, reading books in his study. That's what I'm going to be, and I have two cats. It's perfect. (laughs) But it's just not the way. I know it's not the way I work. I am a bit of a romantic. I like meeting people that I in all different capacities. So I think I was was always destined to fall into another relationship. But even then, when me and Hannah got together, everything was just perfect straight away. But I still didn't think I would get married. She's quite a free and bohemian type. And I was like, she's not that bothered about marriage, really. I think she'd understand if I don't want it. And then within about 18 months, I was, and once my divorce had been signed off and everything, within about six months of that, I was like, oh God, I think I want to get married to her. <laughs> and then, and then I sort of kept almost talking myself out of it for about a year. I'd talk myself out of it. So I was like, you, you look mad, you can't use too soon to be getting married again. And then I finally, I just cracked. I just had this weird experience where basically we had we had a conversation about how we'd never been to South Africa and we really wanted to go. We were just sitting around over Christmas, I think it was. And we were just chatting about places we'd like to go maybe in that year or 18 months as a holiday. 
we both picked South Africa in our like, top three list. And, and then two days later, I got an email asking if I'd go and host a thing in South Africa the month afterwards. And I, I'm just a bit of an old hippie. Yeah, so I went, I thought, I thought that is a sign that we are meant to go to South Africa. And I was like, why would we be meaning to go to South Africa? And I went, oh, I'm, I'm going to propose to her in South Africa. So I agreed to the festival, told her, would you like to come to South Africa next month? She said yes. And then I just got to plan in a proposal. Did you do it at the top of Table Mountain? I did it. I did it in a very lovely eco safari lodge. Lovely. Well, yeah, it's it's that thing of I definitely didn't think I would get married again, but every single thing that happened in a sort of few years later just felt like science that oh, you think you've been quite lucky here and found someone that I, I feel very comfortable with. And how was it in the run-up to the wedding and on your wedding day? Did you sort of get flashbacks of the wedding before and did you feel scared in any way that this new marriage would end up the way that the last marriage I definitely was? had a few moments. I never doubted it. Because even like me, yeah, with my first wife, our wedding day was absolutely brilliant. You know, wedding days are the best. Yeah, oh my God. People are like, would you get married again? I'm like, so many times, it's I the mean, best it is, day ever. yeah. Yeah, and it's hard to describe to people that haven't experienced it because it's hard to describe what it's like to be in a room and have every person in the room sort of directing all this positive energy towards you. I suppose stand-up, it sometimes can have a, Maybe that, I'm just addicted to that feeling. But like, so I, yeah, our first, the, the first that wedding was amazing. We had amazing, and, we, and like we'd sort of been through some stuff before, a couple of years before, and almost we had a bit of a sort of break and then we got back together and then basically we ended up getting engaged because we were like, right, let's do this. Let's, we've, I think we've fixed everything we need to do. We hadn't. It was just, I think we were probably quite naively thinking of getting married would fix our problems. And it didn't, obviously. It actually ended up sort of highlighting them. But that, that being said, you know, that run up to the wedding, the wedding and the aftermath, was that was like the best. It's the best time in your relationship because it's just such a fun and exciting thing to do. So this on my second wedding... I had all those same feelings, but definitely in the background, there was a little thing of like, oh, please don't mess this one up. You know what I mean? I just, you can't, I don't think, you'd have to be either a psychopath or the Buddha to not have those feelings, mm. I think. So I actually, yeah, I definitely had the odd moment of going like, just, you know, am I being silly? And then I just realised, no, the, the whole relationship was different. Everything, there were so many different things going on. Just looking back in comparison, and I just realised that it's, I think this one's all right. Oh, it's so nice to hear. Maybe one day I will have this too. It'll happen, mate. It'll all happen. What you need to do is go to Australia to a festival. Okay, sure. There's loads of lovely Auss- Aussies kicking around. <laughs> Get one of them. Import one of and them. And be like, can we have sex before midnight? Because They're better than the ones we've got in this country. <laughs> They're basically like Brits, but happier and more sort of well-balanced because they've been raised Hands. in the sunshine. Yeah. They like surfing, don't they? Just all of them as a nation. I'm not good at water. Except for the, if you get one from the north, because they can't really go to the beach because of the crocodiles. Ideal. Okay, I'm in. Yeah. So obviously you're in a happy place now. You're in a happy marriage, which is lovely. So looking back, do you remember a low point of that whole divorce haze yeah, I mean, obviously the initial, just the, that initial 
brutal, like the moment you realise it's fully done. Do you know what I mean? Or the night you sort of leave the house. I actually went to my friend Chris Martins, again, not from Coldplay, but the comedian. Um, I remember just calling him and being like, mate, can I come and stay at yours just for a night? I just need to be somewhere. And I came around and I was just... I was in I was in shell shocked. It was almost like that thing of like ringing in your ears. I remember it felt so horrendous. I have tinnitus, so I have ringing all the time. Oh no! So it's horrible. Yeah, that's what it felt like. It had this sort of like you know when you see in a film a bomb goes off and it cuts to that sort of noise and everyone's walking yeah. around with that sort of look in their eyes. I felt like that, and then I moved them to my parents for about two months, and that was like just being there made it really bad because I felt like it was like going back to my youth and it's a really pokey little flat my parents live in I couldn't wait to get out of there when I was growing up and like going back there felt like this is where I end up is it you know what I mean it's so it all that whole period felt quite bleak and then it started just you know coming out of that that sort of two three month period so I met this person I was like oh she's cool and we're having fun and then I found somewhere to live with a really good mate and uh, yeah sort of they were getting out of there and into that place, just, I started rebuilding myself. There was other low points, like once the actual solicitor stuff started happening, there was a couple of things happened where, you know, it all got a bit nasty. And again, it was just anger, really, from, you know, what happened. And I think solicitors trying to slightly stir up things that aren't there just to make a bit more money, perhaps. Mm. So, yeah, I had a little, we had a little moment where it all got a bit shitty and, horrible that was probably the in terms of actually the admin side of it but then yeah so that they were probably the two yeah because the admin of getting divorced is so huge i've found anyway and i've heard of people doing it themselves where they just sit down with like a divorce for dummies book and go through i had a solicitor and i sort of initiated the whole process which meant that i had to deal with everything and it yeah. does, it takes over a year for all the admin. Yes. How did you find that whole process? Were you organising it or was it between the two of you? Well, it was, we both had separate solicitors and they were going back and forth. My solicitors were pants, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> I just found my most local, the nearest one to my house. Classic bad admin. And they were fine, but, you know, weirdly, I went in to see them and met a really lovely person. She was great and she seemed really on it and, made me feel better. I was like, all right, these are good. And then she left like two weeks after it all started. And the person who replaced her was rubbish. And I just got lumbered with her. And like, so I, I always felt like, oh, I've got, you know, this is going to drag on because I've basically hired idiots. The worst and yeah. ever. Yeah. And it was that thing of, yeah, there was just one moment in about probably nine months down the line, there was an issue that couldn't get resolved. And it was just so shit and sad and depressing because it like everything just got quite angry between the two of us and then actually it wasn't between the two of us it was between the two solicitors and then all I did was contact my ex-director I said look I've just this is ongoing what's happening here this is you know this isn't helping either of us and we had just had a conversation about it and by the end of the conversation it was like all right yeah let's just go and tell them to stop doing that sorted it out yeah and it sorted out it was that moment and there there were moments like that that were nice you know the first time we met up and it didn't end in a argument was a really nice thing you know I know know some people just can't have that moment you know it's almost like no it's done we can't even talk but I definitely think for me 
and for her. Just being able to be civil was a hurdle that was very nice. And then down the line, you know, we haven't sort of met, met up for a couple of years, but last time we saw each other, it was actually very pleasant. We just had a drink and a chat and checked in on how each other were doing. And it was fine. You know, it was still obviously a weirdness to it, but just to be able to have that and walk away and go, I, just, I hope the best for you. Yeah, I found that great with my ex, you know, that obviously the first couple of times it's really emotional when we met up, but then when we could meet up and just like talk about what was going on with each other and then be like, oh, you know, well, take care. Like, and it it was definitely very cathartic. So final few questions, which are things I'm currently going through. So I'd be interested to get your ideas. What have you done with your wedding ring? What have I done with my wedding ring? Oh, I didn't have a wedding ring. Basically, again, I, I look back and think, was this a subconscious thing that I basically wasn't fully committed to it? I don't know. At the time, I don't think it was. I've, I've always been quite OCD with my fingers. I used to sit and do this with my fingers constantly and just like rub my thumb in between each finger. It was like this weird. So I couldn't wear jewellery. The moment I put anything on it, it was like obsessed about it. Basically, so... I, I you didn't get did, one. I didn't Problem get a wedding solved. ring. You have one for the new one. Yeah, so this is a weird thing. Then after that breakup, and I, I did all the India, and I went off, and I, I sort of, I did, you know, I, I did all the cliche stuff. I got into meditation and became a vegan, and you know, I did every cliche you can do when you're reinventing yourself. And then I got my ears pierced, and I remember like getting my ears pierced and being like, oh, I can have jewelry, and I started wearing a necklace and a watch. I never used to wear watches even. I used to hate them. I used to have to wear one on stage for comedy to see how long I'd done. I really hated wearing it. All of a sudden, I just sort of, I feel like I've got rid of a lot of my old physical issues. I, I used to have suffered from this thing called gynecomastia, which gave me like quite bad body dysmorphia. Basically, I, I used to have quite pronounced nipples growing up because of a hormone imbalance. But even that, like now I've just sort of come all right. I can go to the swimming pools and not sort of, thing that everyone in the swimming pool was looking and talking about me so I feel like just that, that little period where I went off and sort of helped and found myself and worked through my problems got me over it and now I can wear a ring without it being all I can think about for the day I actually even recently got a second ring I've got a, a signet ring that my wife bought me for Christmas which has got like a hippie symbol on it so you're not wearing your wedding ring now. Yes, I still can't wear it all day. I wear it out when I go out. I can't wear it like 24-7. That's so interesting. So you put it on like uh, like you're getting dressed to go yeah, out. Yeah, it goes on. I have a shower, get my clothes on, and it's the last thing. And my earrings can stay in because I sort of forget they're on. But I can't sit around the house with my rings on. Okay. Yeah, it's weird. I'm actually I'm weirder than I realise sometimes. We're, oh, we're all weird. <laughs> I discovered during lockdown that I have an anxiety because I have anxiety. I have an anxiety like tick where I like scratch my face. And yeah. I've always had it when I'm stressed. I just like literally scratch the top layer of my face. And so I always like have like cuts from my spots and stuff I on really my do. face. And I've realized during lockdown that it is like a condition. Yeah. Because I always thought that's just my thing. But it's an actual condition that loads of people have. But it's got a special fancy name. But um, it's an actual, like, <laughs> physical, you know, display of, of your anxiety. So we're all, we're yeah. all weird. Let's oh, join definitely. in the weird divorceiness. <laughs> <laughs> but weirdly, I've got a lot, of, a lot of my old tips I got rid of. Oh, really? Well, I'm trying to get rid of that. I'm, I'm trying to knit mittens and then just wear them at home so I can't yeah, scrub yeah. my face. 
Did you have a special outfit for wedding number one? And what have you done with it? Yes, I had my wedding suit. I actually kept my wedding suit for quite a few years. And I recently, I say recently, I reckon it was within the last two years. It was a little bit tight for me. And uh, I just, I think I gave it to a, to a charity shop. Finally, I thought, you know what? I think it should go to, it's a lovely suit. And I just thought, you know, what am I keeping it for? Not, you know, not in a sort of horrible way. I, I just thought, I think it could go to a better home. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Because I'm thinking about what to do with my wedding dress at the moment. So a few people I've spoken to have given them to charity. I quite like that idea. Yeah. And finally, what have you done with your divorce certificate? It's in a folder that sits next to my desk in my admin folder. So it's got like my, you know, my self-employed forms and like the things when I signed up the first registration of uh, I've got a limited company set up, you know, all of them things that I'm like... These are like certificates of my life. It sits in there. Lovely. Yeah. It's not going on the wall or anything. But well, it's uh, yeah, I've heard stories that some people have them framed, but I don't think I'll do that. I, don't know. I think that's if you've you know come out of a particularly bad relationship where yeah. it's a toxic thing that you've sort of been feel free from rather than something that quite sadly just came to an end. I don't want yeah. to frame that. <laughs> well, Carl, thank you for joining me in the Divorce Club. Can you tell me where we can find more about you? I'm all over the internet. I've got a couple of podcasts I do. I do one called uh, Two Vegan Idiots, which is just fun. That's like me and Julia Dean being silly. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, just at Carl Donnelly. All my output is much more fun than Divorce Chat. <laughs> divorce Chat's super fun, Carl. I don't know what you're saying. Uh, no, but what I mean is I really, like, I really enjoy talking about it, actually, because it's something that, you know, everything else I do is so silly. Like, I've got quite a silly output. And actually, I do quite like getting into the, the meat and potatoes of life. There you go. Well, thank you for joining me and sharing your meat and potatoes. (laughs) Cheers. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.